of Timothy in chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And we're going to continue our study there of this verse that so many of us are so familiar with. And sometimes we don't... uh, It's interesting how sometimes we say verses, we memorize verses, they become a part of us, and we don't stop and think long enough to think about the individual parts of those verses and what they actually mean to us. This is one of the proof texts that is, uh, and the primary proof text, that indeed all Scripture is inspired of God. This is the, the main one. Whenever you're studying the Bible, you always look for key verses. You look for main verses that explain a doctrine, state a doctrine, state it unequivocally and without any exceptions. And so that's what you look for, and this is one of them. We uh, are all familiar with Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and it's a judge of the thoughts and intentions of the heart of the innermost being we know that all scripture is god breathed that's our verse it is all profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness so that the man of god can be mature and thoroughly furnished unto all good works we also find out that uh, we're called to study to show ourselves approved unto god as workmen that do not need to be ashamed handling accurately The word of truth. So it's not just to study the Bible. It's to learn how to study it correctly. Study it properly. And then handle it accurately. Is the word that it is talking about. So that's part of what we do today. We study the Bible. In its historical setting. As we want to know what it meant to the people back then. But also realizing. That God's uh, word is timeless. When he communicates it, he communicated across dispensations and gave us opportunities to learn because it says all scripture is profitable because all scripture includes the different dispensations that we find. We go back to the historical setting that it is found in. What did this word mean back then? Then we go to categories. That's where you connect the dots contextually, where you start... uh, With the immediate context, what are the verses right around it? Well, around this verse is last days. So you can pretty well figure out that one of the most attacked things in the last days is the integrity of the Scripture. And many people today, 90% of the people in churches today, don't believe the Bible is fully inspired of God. They just don't believe it. And if you start with that position... You end up in all kinds of different positions if you don't let the Bible be your guidebook and your source for the standard. So we learn that we have to study in the intermediate context as well because that means within the book or within the same author. What is that? What is also stated about a certain topic within the book that you find? And what about from the same author like Paul or John or Peter? What did they have to say about a certain topic? And then the remote context. Since all of the Bible is an integrated whole, then what we have to do is this, does this verse work with every other? How does it relate to every other verse in the Bible? How does it, how does it connect? Because a correct interpretation, rightly handling the word of truth, won't violate any of those three contexts at all. Sometimes people go with the first one and maybe the second one, the intermediate context, and they remove 
that book from the rest of the scripture and you just can't do that and properly interpret uh, the word of God so we are putting this together hopefully allowing for those three contexts hopefully uh, realizing that it is all inspired it is all designed for our benefit and now we've drilled down a little bit deeper what is profitable according to scripture we know what's profitable according to Wall Street and several other places. We know about that. We learn about that from the time we're a kid. Whenever we're a kid, back when hot dog, our hamburgers were six for a dollar, some of you remember that and some of you don't, but back when they were six for a dollar, if you had a, a dollar, you, if all you had was a dollar, all you could get was six hamburgers. If you wanted seven, you couldn't get it for a dollar. And you learned real fast you had to have the money to pay for the, the goods that you were trying to buy. But it's all profitable for what? For doctrine. That's teaching. The Word of God taught accurately. That's what it is. That's what doctrine involves. And doctrine is not made up on man's whims and wishes and traditions and all those things. It's based on what the Word of God has to say. So, I know I uh, went to a meeting one time and the pastor up there said, open your Bibles to so-and-so, and if you don't have a Bible, I assume you have it memorized. Okay? Because <laughs> you need your Bible with you when you come to study the Bible. Anyway, <clears throat> and so... We, that's what we are looking at today for doctrine, for the accurate teaching of the Word of God that sets the standards, the criteria for how we are to think and how we are to speak and how we are to act. That's, what, that's why it is profitable. The next thing we look at is reproof. And reproof is an exposure of, the word means to reprove, it means to expose something. And it's exposure for comparison purposes. With what? The absolute standard of doctrine. And so we are looking at reproof today. We're going to look at what the Bible tells us is reproof. Because if you've noticed, there is uh, some people have uh, managed to change the meaning of words along the way. Uh, they, they keep adding words. There's an there's a interesting movie called The Professor and the Madman. I don't know if any of you have seen it or not with... Mel Gibson and Sean Penn. I put it off for a long time because of um, a couple of actors that were in it. <laughs> anyway, and my daughter said, you need to watch that. And it was where they put together the Oxford English Dictionary. And it truly is based on a true story. And it was fascinating to watch all the battles that they went through to get to that. The Professor and the Madman. Now, you can guess which one was the professor and which one was the madman. But it's definitely worth just taking a look at to see what they went through to try and put together a dictionary. And since then, and some of the problems they had was the words were changing while they were putting together the dictionary. Okay? So that's part of the problem that we face today. So we need to know what the words mean, what they meant whenever they were spoken. And we don't need to put modern meanings on ancient words. We don't need to do that. 
So we need to learn what the ancient word says, and then we can apply it in a modern setting. But you don't go back and change the words because they have a different meaning today than they did in the day that they were written. And that's part of the hermeneutics of how we approach the scriptures and what we look at and what we try to find and how we seek to accurately handle the word of truth. Now, all of the word of truth is spiritually understood. To understand the Bible or try to apart from the Holy Spirit is a mistake. It's a total mistake because the Holy Spirit is the one who will lead us into all truth and show us things to come. So we go in front of the throne of grace. We pray that the the Lord will take care of our understanding. Uh, For decades now I have prayed that the Lord would help me understand it, know it fully, remember it, and be able to use it wisely. And when you pray those things, that's his will. And he will he will answer those. So those are good things to remember to pray every day, every time before you open your Bible. Lord, help me understand what you want me to know. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are so blessed... And we're so amazed at who you are and what you have done. We're amazed at the inspiration of your word. How you put together over 40 people on different continents over 1,500 years. And they came up with the same message. Something only you could do. Father, as we look into it, we are constantly awestruck by the depth and the beauty. As we seek to explore uh, the depths of, of of you the almighty so father i pray that you would indeed this morning enlighten us challenge us convict us father where we're needed so that we can grow in the grace and the knowledge of our lord jesus christ we ask this in his name amen well we're at the word reproof for doctrine for reproof and the word reproof legkos we've looked at the word done the exegesis already and this means to expose something it's just like if you, you know, you're, when you're growing up as a kid and you get into the cookie jar and get caught. Okay, there's an exposure there. What was the criteria? Don't get in the cookie jar without uh, asking first, right? Mom set the doctrine. Okay, that's what it is. You get caught, you get exposed. Okay, this is an exposure for comparison against the absolute standard. Now, the Holy Spirit exposes sin John 16 verses 8 to 11 and you can uh, you can fill in the blanks if you want to you can turn there quickly if you can because John 16:8 says and he now where's John 16 when's it happening it's in the upper room the night before the cross on the next day and he's introducing his disciples to the holy spirit and he says and he when he comes will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, the word convict there, by the way, is our exposed. Reprove, convict. That's that's our word exposed. Concerning sin, because they don't believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Okay? He's, he's already been judged. 
Those, you know, how long could we spend on that one verse? Just digging into that one verse and drilling down into what that has to has to say. The ruler of this world has been judged. One of those key verses in the angelic conflict because it's perfect tense. It's a past tense. He's already been judged. He'd been found guilty. He'd been sentenced to a lake of fire, and he's not in there yet. So what? Why not? That's just a question you would ask. I would ask. And then you start asking the Lord and he starts showing, well, there's a battle going on between God and Satan. He's already been judged. He has been sentenced. But he has appealed the sentence. And somewhere we showed up. God brought us into existence to help deal with the appeal of Satan. And that's just simple thinking, simple thought process, not hard to get to. Now, the Lord himself will expose us to ourselves. Okay? The Lord himself will expose us to ourselves. It's interesting how we can turn on the television we can see evil pretty easy, easily. We're, we're well trained to pick out sin and evil in other people, aren't we? We've got that all down. Whether we got the right standards or not is a different issue, but we can sure find out if, we, uh, uh, if, if other people are involved in sin. Have you ever noticed somebody that accuse and let you know point their finger at somebody and 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 they're doing the same thing? Uh, Gary Horton, a ranger, says when you're pointing one finger like that, you got three looking back at you as well. So you need to you need to consider old number one. But Hebrews 12:5. This is the passage about discipline, and it says. You have forgotten the exhortation. Now he's writing the Jews here. You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved, as our word, exposed. Exposed. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And here it is, when you're reproved by him, when he exposes it. It, it comes out. You know, the Lord himself will expose us to ourselves. Look into the mirror of the word of God. James chapter 1 is the mirror. Comes out of the tabernacle where they had, what? The bronze laver. What happened after they passed the uh, burnt offering and the bronze altar? They went, the priest went to the bronze laver. What did he do? It was made of polished glass hand mirrors. They looked down in there and they basically were looking at themselves. They were saying, before you walk into this tent of the meeting, you take a good look at yourself. You took a good look at yourself and you wash your hands if need be. You get them cleaned off, cleanse them, get rid of the unclean part of you before you walk in there. Now that's often a picture of confession of sin. Because the Lord said, to Peter, you don't need a bath, Peter. You just need to wash your feet. That's all you need, part of you. Because you've already been saved. You've already been bathed, if you will. He said, now you need to take a look at yourself. Now, <clears throat> the Lord himself will expose us to ourselves. But we got to take the time to look as well. The Lord exposes error because of his love. See how these things are kind of fit in remote context all over, but they all interconnect? Because when we look to the Bible to give us the 
categorical instruction and tell us this is what I mean when I say this. And that's why he frequently uses it in different areas. He says, this is what I'm talking about when I say this because these all interrelate. If you believe the whole Bible is inspired, inspired, not expired, some, some do in the world, but if you believe the whole thing's inspired, they all interconnect with each other. So, <clears throat> Revelation 3.19, a letter to the church at Laodicea. One of those great letters written to us and the rest of the world at this time about being lukewarm in the faith. The Lord says, Those whom I love, I reprove. There's our word again. And discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Change your mind. He says, If you are lukewarm, context, Laodicea church, Letters to the seven churches. If you are lukewarm in the last generation, fix it. Don't become cold and don't stay lukewarm. Become zealous for the Lord. That's what he's saying in the, in the context. He says, and those whom I love, I'll tell you if you're lazy or not. <laughs> if you look in the mirror, you'll see it. And it's real easy to get lazy in this generation and just want to hide out and disappear. But folks, we got a we got a great opportunity set in front of us. One of the greatest in the history of the world. For the first time we can take the gospel to the whole world. First time. And there's a lot of ways to, to do it. But he exposes error, and especially the error of, of lukewarmness, if you will. Now what are we supposed to expose? The gospel. <clears throat> what happens, we, we get a tendency to want to hide things. You know, the, I, we read these newsletters and then we get back from the missionaries. And we've got, some, uh, we've got some missionaries that are tough cookies when you start looking at it. When you start looking at those people in Ukraine, for example, I've been sending uh, newsletters out from Jim Myers. And uh, they managed it to get out. But I know personally a couple of those people that are still there. And they still have the uh, armies passing by them on a daily basis. And you know what they're looking to do? Get the church going again. Get, get resettled. Figure out how to do that. What about Afghanistan? We actually have people that have the courage to go back into Afghanistan now to give the gospel. Isn't that amazing? I also find it amazing that with all the chaos that went with Afghanistan and the anger it generated in the American people, now we've got another crisis to deal with that has taken center stage and we've forgotten about Afghanistan. They did a movie a long time ago called Wag the Dog. You, you all know what I'm talking about, right? That's whenever they generate a story in order to distract from the real story that's going on somewhere else. Now, Ukraine is a real story. I, there, uh, there's some definite conspiracy theories floating around about Ukraine. Uh, uh, it's, it's amazing because I read some things that are all on, on Putin's side, and I'm going, what? Oh, Anyway, I'm not going down that rabbit hole this morning. So I'm, I'm coming, getting back here. But you have to expose. And what are we supposed to expose? The gospel. 
Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. <clears throat> the grace of God has appeared. Uh, who's Paul writing about? He's writing to Titus about Jesus, right? <laughs> Who is the, the grace of God? Who is the love of God? Who is the light of the world? Who is the the of the these that is here? It's the Lord Jesus. He says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's saying it's a, it is a complete atonement. It's an atonement for every person that's ever been alive. It's not a limited atonement. It is an un, it's an unlimited atonement. Instructing us, that's believers, that's Christians, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly. That means with a practical wisdom. That's the word sensible. Righteously and godly in the present age. The age they were living was, was evil just like ours. It was evil. They were under Roman domination. The Jews had not turned back to the Lord. Some of them had joined in and become a part of the church. But he says, here you are as a Christian. And this is before 70 AD. This is around 60 AD when this is being written, 60 to 62. 70 AD was the destruction of Jerusalem and dispersion of all the Jews into all the parts of the, the globe. And he says, how are you supposed to live now? Sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope. Now who is that? Not what is that? See... Some people look at hope and look only as a, as a mental state of hope. But the mental state of hope comes correctly through the person of hope. He says, For the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove, O Titus, with all authority. And let no one disregard you. See what Paul just wrote this young pastor? He says, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go tell people about the man that took their place on the cross. And some people throughout the course of history just don't like it. They don't even want to hear about it. But the gospel is to be exposed. Now part of a shepherd's job is to expose unhealthy doctrine. That's what a shepherd is called to do. To expose unhealthy doctrine. That word unhealthy as I've mentioned recently is that you see it translated sound doctrine comes from the therapeuo word. It was a word that basically means un unhealthy. It's without uh, healthiness to it. And it says part of, that's part of the shepherd's job. When the Lord puts people in charge of various congregations over different sections of his flock, part of his role, his job, is to expose unhealthy doctrine. Titus 1.9, and again, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles. Pastor means shepherd. That's where the word comes from. And it says, Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the doctrine, the teaching, so that he will be able 
both to exhort in healthy doctrine and to refute, as our word, reprove those who contradict. So a shepherd is called to know what is healthy doctrine and what is not. And it, I, I find it interesting that, that now in the seminaries, there are a lot of them, they're more interested in what everybody else throughout the history of the church has to say than what the Bible has to say itself. And they have more quotations within a lot of things that are, that are fully done on, well, this guy says this, and this one says this. And here is the, here is the Wycliffe commentary, Matthew Henry commentary. Here is a Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary. And they quote, all of these people that had things to say, why not just stick with the exegesis? Go into the original languages, write what it has to say. What does the word mean? What does it mean here? What did it mean originally? How did it get to where it is meant when it is written down? And what does it mean to us today? Why not just do that? To me, that is the most common sense way to approach the scripture for higher, for higher learning. And that's part of shepherd's job. They need to know what is what is correct. They need to know what is truly doctrine and what is opinion. And they need to distinguish between the two. And they need to hold fast the faithful word. See, it's not just any man's word, is it? The faithful word is the word of the Lord. That's part of the shepherd's job. Another part of the shepherd's job is to expose sin. Now, <clears throat> 2 Timothy 4.2, because, uh, see, we're in 2 Timothy 3.16. There's one more verse in this chapter, and then we go to 2 Timothy 4. Okay, and Paul is basically signing off to Timothy. He's saying, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. It's about time for me to face the uh, beheader. And they're going to cut my head off. And I'm ready for it, so whatever. And he's telling young Timothy, he says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. Now this, this is quite a statement. Part of the shepherd's job is to expose. What is sin? Now, we've been through that recently in the early part of 2 Timothy 3, the first five verses, 20 things that were sin. Lovers of self, lovers of money. We find disobedient to parents. We find the, the uh, holding grudges. We find all kinds of things in there, holding to a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. We find that being taught in the last days. That being lived out in the last days. So what <clears throat> is a pastor supposed to do, especially in the last days? Expose sin. What is sin? And see, now, I mean, where do you even start? Because a lot of people don't even think sin exists anymore. Thomas Samuel, one of the missionaries on the board back there, said whenever you're talking to a Hindu... <clears throat> He said, you have to realize they don't understand the word sin. You know, where would you spend eternity? Well, what about your sins? They don't understand the word sin. And I said, Thomas, what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, there is uh, things that build good karma and not so good karma. 
They don't recognize this thing called sin. They don't need a redeemer from it because they don't recognize it. You have to show them what sin is and then you have to explain to them how they are sinners. And he said they often don't like that and that's often where the conversation ends but how are you going to tell them about a redeemer if they don't have a need? And they have to see the need before they see the need for a savior. And he said that's part of what it is. Now what has moved over to the United States? Why don't we see sin any longer? Well, <clears throat> you know where the you know where the climate change thing came from? Climate change came right off the southern tip of India. Cape Cormoran. Swami Vivekananda brought the New Age movement, Hinduism, to the United States, the Chicago World's Fair, nineteen thirteen. He brought it over and was well received by people. I have pictures, which you weren't supposed to take. I didn't know that until I'd already got a full set. But I have pictures <clears throat> of what is emblazoned on the walls of these idols that are offshore. They're about 100 feet tall, two of them, offshore of the very southern tip of India. Then you go onto the island. If you saw the tsunami pictures of 2004... It is a place where the water's all pulled out away from these idols and the people were stranded and they tried to walk back to the shore and the waves came back in and killed. They don't have any people they killed whenever the, the waves came back in. But those are the idol pictures setting right on that, on that particular island. And you go inside there and you find a whole bunch of Westerners in a room going, oh, trying to get in touch with their inner self, I guess. And then <clears throat> they have a room. It's all set up, dedicated to the Swami. And in that, it's got all this stuff about worshiping Mother Nature, worshiping uh, Mother Earth. It is the uh, everything that you see going on now in the climate change movement is emblazoned on those walls. They brought that over here. Not that it wasn't here already, but now they had something to use as a vehicle and an instrument to spread this mess that they've got happening right now. So <clears throat> part of the job is to expose sin. If they bring Hinduism over here, what happens, what happens to sin? It disappears too. It's either good karma or bad karma. And some things are better than others. So you just have more good karma than you have bad karma and you come back as a higher being in your next reincarnation. And that's firmly what they, what they believe. So now it's like, uh, well, is it, is it, is it uh, a sin to steal something? We, we go back to the Ten Commandments find that out. It's a sin to steal. Uh, is it a sin to take your neighbor's wife or husband? Yes, it is. Where do we find that out? In the Word of God that lays out the standard criteria for us. But to some people, it doesn't even matter anymore. They just flat don't care. That's part of a shepherd's job, is to expose what sin is. The deeds of darkness are supposed to be exposed from Ephesians 5, verses 11 to 13. I've, I've been called over the course of years at times concerning pastors who've gone down the wrong paths. And some of them went down the wrong path way earlier and basically got their hand slapped, not slapped hard enough. And so they continued to repeat doing what they were doing 
and brought about a lot of other victims over the course of 18 or 20 years until it came back out again. And I've, they, they call me and say, well, what should we do? I said, read Ephesians 5 and go into verse 11. It says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things that are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they're exposed by the light. For everything that is visible is light. Now, we learn that there's a way to go about exposing these things. There is a procedure that has been laid out that is supposed to be used. Now, those who do evil don't like being exposed. Guess what? John 3.20, reprove, rebuke, exhort. You know, I've been called to counsel a lot of times over the last 43, 4 years since I've been doing this. And a lot of people are ready, willing, and able to listen until there's an issue they've got to fix. And then they don't want to listen anymore. They're done talking. That crazy counselor pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. That's why I truly try to show them what the book has to say and let the book do the talking. That's the way it should be done. And I've, I've mentioned before, I had a lady one time and she was, she was thinking leaving her husband and she said she just went out kind of into the park or the woods or church or wherever. I don't remember exactly where she went, but she said... I went out there and I was trying to decide what to do and, and I'm out there and it's like this little voice came to me and I'm, my antenna go up real fast. Um, this little voice came to me and said, follow your heart. And so I said, have you got a Bible here? Yeah. I said, would you get it for me? Yeah. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. So would you read that for me? Yeah. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries. Da, da, da. <laughs> and she went, oh. And uh, at least that helped for a while. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't work out. That's I fully understand that. And the Bible accounts for it. But I look at that and I went, she's listening to the wrong voice. We need to listen to the voice of the Almighty. It says, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Why are things done in secret so much? Because people don't like the light. Now, this is part of the procedure that was mentioned a while ago. Exposure of a brother's sin should first be done privately. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. And sadly, I've heard some pastors that know a lot about the Scripture and a lot about the Word of God. And they look at this, and I'll show you how they read it. And then I'll, I'll mention what's, what's wrong with it. Because Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins, go and expose him or show him his fault in private. Okay, There's an important reason for that. Because you may not have the facts right. I know none of you have ever been there. 
where you made a quick snap judgment and then you found out later your judgment was wrong because you didn't have all the data that you needed to be able to make a proper decision. And so, uh, what do we say, fly off half-cocked or something like that? There's all kinds of expressions that go with that, and we just automatically assume, because we see this one part of this person's life, that something is happening. I heard about a, uh, a deacon that got called up in front of the church by this lady and said, well, I saw his car parked out in front of Sister So-and-So's house out there he must be doing something wrong and so that next night he went and parked his car out in front of her house (laughs) he was truly there to try to help the lady out there wasn't anything sinister going on at all but anyway got the point across you got to get the whole picture before you go off so when you go to the person And have the courage to say, you know, I'm seeing this happen. I'm seeing this happen. And am I missing something here? Then you might get the rest of the picture as to what is going on and what is really happening without all the assumptions. In fact, assume, I mean, we know what assume means. And I'll leave that one out. But we know that assuming is not a good thing, not a good thing to to do. But... If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Now that doesn't mean to assume you're always right. Because if you go have a conversation, you might find out you're wrong and misunderstood and misinterpreted. And there it stops right there. That's where it needs to stop and go on. He says, if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Now that's right out of the Mosaic Law. This is Jesus talking. He's giving us the instructions right out of the Mosaic Law. And so what I find is that sometimes pastors go here and say, this is all Mosaic Law. This is all kingdom living. has nothing to do with the church. Okay? And it says, if he refuses to listen to them, the two or three witnesses, tell it to the church. Now, the church, and that's where they kind of go a different direction and say it's not applicable to the church. And I I beg to differ with them then. Why? Because the church hadn't been revealed just yet. The word for church here is ecclesia, the normal word for church. But church was a generic word that took on a technical meaning as the church developed. And anybody who does a word study will find that out. Because ecclesia is used for a mob of crazy people that were out to gather against Paul one time. It wasn't a church that was going after him. It was the mob that he'd addressed in the, in the uh, Colosseum or the, the meeting hall. So the word ecclesia means literally to call together. It is a calling together. That's what a church is. And so... It can refer to any kind of assembly. But then they started putting a definite article with it. That's what they started calling what we know as the church. The word, if I remember right, used about 120 times. And about 110 of them refer specifically to this body that we know as the church. Okay, And I see this 
is the Lord using this word, tell it to the assembly, even if it is generic, it is still crosses dispensations. The Lord is the prophet. Is he not like unto Moses? Can he not make a prophetic statement and see down, down the, the future? Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I find that interesting, recorded in Matthew. Sometimes that'll just slip on by. Now, does it mean that he's an unbeliever or anything? No, but you have to treat him as such in a way. Let him be to you as a Gentile and unbeliever. He needs, he needs to hear the gospel again. He needs to hear about the Christian life again. He needs to be re-educated, if, if you will. I know that's a bad word anymore, re-educated, but he needs to be taught the word of God again like God has said to us before. So exposure of a brother's sin should first be done privately. And then if there is something wrong, okay, then says one or two, because the Mosaic law by the mouth of two or three witnesses may every fact be confirmed. Okay, And that's how it should proceed. And you need good witnesses. You need honorable witnesses. You need people that can go with you and keep their mouth shut. Okay? You probably want to take up all cell phones and internet devices and everything else. and Nobody records it or any of that other stuff. You're actually, the whole concept of this is called loving one another. That's what we're, that's what we're supposed to do to help one another out. But a lot of times, as we all know, people just don't want to hear it. Now, one who continues in sin is supposed to be exposed to all. Now, this is 1 Timothy 5.20. This concerns an elder pastor overseer that continues on in sin. This elder pastor overseer says those who continue in sin, and the context is pastoral epistle. He's writing about pastors. He says those elders, overseers, who are involved in sin, rebuke in the presence of all. They won't give it up. They won't quit. That goes with the pastor too. If you think the pastor's involved in sin, come to him first. Okay? Not then if he does listen to you or you need to talk about it more, Get a deacon or two to go with you and talk about it. Figure out what's really going on. If correction needs to be made, then correction will be done. And I've, I've run into many cases where pastor didn't want to hear it. He's a grace preacher and he talks about grace and all he's got is, is grace. And by golly, I'm demanding grace from you even though I was in the wrong. And it looks to me like that there are times that people can be disqualified from the ministry for a period of time. And if they're not going to listen and agree to change, then there's a problem. Rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest of the congregation, of the pastors that hear about it, may be fearful of sinning. We're not supposed to be involved in flagrant ongoing sin, especially as shepherds or leaders of a church. The same is true for deacons. Must be above reproach. There are things that we are called to do. Now, exposure is the easy part. And it's not supposed to be easy. But in some regards, it's the 
easy part. Because the next one, correction, that's where the breakdown uh, usually occurs. Uh, the breakdown in growth occurs. If we are exposed for unrighteousness in our life and we're not willing to be corrected, what happens to our spiritual growth? Hmm. Sounds like we have kind of stopped along the way, doesn't it? We've kind of taken a pause, taken a break. And the interesting thing about the Christian life, there are no breaks. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. It's not stationary. It's lukewarm, but lukewarm is moving backwards. Revelation 3. So we need to, if we are lukewarm, be corrected. Go in front of the throne of grace. Admit it. And ask that the Lord would, I don't know, kick you in the rear end. Do what he's got to do to uh, get you in gear. Heard a pastor say one time, I'd rather... I'd rather uh, have uh, have the Lord holding me back when I then uh, kicking me through the holy <laughs> through the the golden gate. So he said that's I, w- I want to be uh, slowed down by the Lord from what I'm doing instead of figuring out how to ease around and do it. So pray the Lord will expand your ministry no matter where you are in this life. Prayer Jabez, rightfully done, not as a name it and claim it type of prayer, but rightfully done. As Lord, uh, here I am. Please expand my ministry. And you know what he'll do? Just that. Just that. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your amazing word, for the depth of your word, for the, for the uh, clarity of your word concerning righteousness and sin. And Father, I pray that we will be attuned to it. We'll be humble enough to realize when we're wrong. And we will be willing to make the necessary corrections. We come in front of you in Jesus' name. Amen.